Turn me up, turn me on, Sir Smith I. This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. You're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. Rob and tell him we'll be ready in just a second. Um, you're not going to call him in the group, right? Or are you going to call no, him? No, we group? are, but. Oh, I just I won't just, pick up. Let's just cover. Get some stuff out of the way real quick. Um, welcome, all. It's episode 88, the Herpeticulture Podcast. Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics and the Herpeticulture Magazine. What? What was that little magazine part you threw in? Magazine. There? Herpeticulture Magazine. I'm Jacob Roth with J.O.B. Morelia. 88 Deep. Tonight we are going to be joined by Rob Stone. Oh. Very, Ooh. very anxious to get into this one. Yes, very excited. Rob does a lot. Uh, he's kept a lot, obviously. If you've, if the name sounds familiar, he's he's been on NPR a million times. He's really good friends with Eric Burke and the gang. and uh, Been to Australia with them yeah. a couple times. And once again, a disclaimer. If you hear the fan or the bugs in the background, we apologize. It's stupid hot in here right now. Yeah, and cicadas go mad this time of year. We've said it mm-hmm. every week, but if you're not used to it or you're a new listener, it's, it's the to soothing be aware sounds of. of nature. It's like we're doing a podcast in the woods. Yeah. Um, but real quick, I figured you'd get a kick out of this. Oh boy. Um. So a. Do, 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 do. Let me find it. Boy, look at all them likes. Look at all these. Mm, look at all those notifications. Look at all these freaking accounts, dude. Jeez, oh. Uh, so we have a, a listener who's who's new, like just got her first snake oh. today. Oh. Uh, Lavisa Ratliff. Say that. So say that again. Lavisa. 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 Ratliff. Ratliff. Hmm. Cool name. Listen to the show. Okay. Uh, and she got herself a Mexican black king. Oh, cool. Good she for was, snake. She was wanting to get some Pituophis as her okay. first snake, which I was like, do it. Yeah. Apparently, she had people on Facebook tell her it was a horrible idea. Yeah, I was like, what? As long as you get one that's not a complete psychopath. But yeah, even I then, think they I make was like, there's nothing. No. That difficult about Pituovas no. to where someone could. Uh, it to was, be honest, I find them a little easier than some colubrids, man. Like I don't put mine on heat. Like I don't. I, I keep my room at about eighty degrees, and they're fine. But Easy. she uh, she said she's pretty stoked, and major thanks to you guys being us nice. for doing the podcast, which finally pushed me to pull the trigger. Nice. So That's I thought awesome. we'd get we'd get into that real quick. And I said, "How long is it going to be until you get your next one?" <laughs> we were placing bets. So. We're placing bets. I so give like it. You'll have more in no time. I, I guarantee you. I give it a month and a half. Maybe, maybe less. But yeah, I mean, she she's talked to me a good bit on on our Instagram account and cool. Asked me my opinion on the whole Pituophis thing, and I was like, if I was like, Facebook groups require a big grain of salt. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I thought I thought you would like that. Those are the nice. best. Those it's, are the best messages. Man. It's nice to know that 
that we help people. Yeah, that's why we do this. It's, uh, those are, I, I love getting those messages, man. They they just they just warm my heart. They warm your heart and keep me wanting to do this and do more and push harder, faster, longer, stronger, stronger. You know what I mean? That's also good to know people aren't sick of us yet. Yeah. There, there that is too. also that. That too. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <sighs> um. So. But this episode was also brought to you by. If we need to do that at the beginning, or are we skipping that? Let's do it now. now. Let's do it now. Steve Snakeuary, the Venom Hot Sauce. Yeah. If you buy his Venom Hot Sauce. You're helping support the education of the general public, which Steve does. Yes. He does talks and, I guess, shows, as you'd call them, and presentations Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. You know, he he rescues snakes. He saves snakes from getting killed by the blissfully ignorant people. Yes. And uh, his hot sauces are awesome. You buy them. They support him directly. Yep. And they're delicious. Yeah, Steve does some awesome stuff. And if you're in this hobby, you you know how important education is with these beautiful animals. So a lot of very misunderstood things out there about them. So yep, he's just defending the faith. Yes. And then MP cages and exotics. Yes. If you need a rack, if you need a cage. Sean Wagner is your Sean's man. Sean's the guy to talk to. <coughs> Um, pretty pumped with yeah. my Andy Middleton got his rack. I'm anxious to see. Oh, Andy got a rack from yeah. him. Nice. Anxious to see how that turns out. He hasn't put it together yet. Nice. Pretty cool. pumped. That's good. Did he go go to him because uh, he listened to the show? Yeah. Nice. I love it. Yep. He's getting a rack that actually had back and belly heat. Oh, dude! I tell you, I I have so much respect for Andy. Andy, I hope I you're listening. I feel like we to say this. that all the time. I do, man. The I, man it's dude. true. He does. He puts that that dude puts more into his animals probably than more more than anybody I really know on a personal basis. Like that dude does a lot for his shit, and it's awesome. So huge shout out to Andy Middleton of AM Arboreals. Awesome cat. He's been on the show before. But yes, MP cages and, and exotics. Can't even talk. MP cages and exotics. Some of the best rack systems around. Do we need Check to turn the out. fan down? You think? I don't know. I haven't been able to hear like it when I've been over the phone, but and we can ask Rob if he can hear it. That's a good idea. If he miss, oh, Let he me gave see. me a thumbs up. He did. So oh, I'm gonna call him right now. Call him. Bring him in. Nothing else we need to cover? I don't think so. I mean, there's nothing new on my end. I don't know about you. Baird's eggs haven't hatched yet. I don't know if they're going to. Hopefully, we'll get some insight from Rob on that. So, we'll see. Dominoes. Hello? I can't hear him. Sir Stone. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh. I was there like, is it us? You there? <laughs> now I can hear you. Check, yeah, check. Now I can hear you. Ooh. Check, check. Yeah. Yo. Yo. Can you hear us okay? 
Yeah, it was a little dicey there for a bit, but I'm with you now. Can you okay, hear you the fan in the background at all? I cannot. Can you hear the fan in the background here? I can't. No. Awesome. No. All good then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So win-win. I, I don't know. Ah. Ah. Right. What's wrong, buddy? I don't, I don't know. Like <laughs> the fan and stuff sounds louder than it probably is, but I can't keep pushing the gain and stuff on all this because it's only gonna make it worse. It's definitely gonna make it worse on yours, given the kind of mic you're rocking there. Do buddy. you want me to like scoot over to like the side? No, of I the think table? the angle you're at is fine. It's okay. Just <clears throat> <clears throat> Anyways, what's up, dude? Nothing, man. I'm glad to have you back. Yeah, I'm glad really? to be. I'm glad to be here for this one. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's been probably a. I'd have to look. It's been at least a year since you were on last. So. Well, I saw him. I, I saw Rob at Carpet Fest in in uh, Pennsylvania, and it was before that, and that was in like. It was like a month or two before that, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And now I can't remember when Carpet Fest was. It was June. June, I thought so. No, August. No. No. I don't know. Rob, do you, was it June? Yeah, it was like, what, the first week of June or something? Okay. Because it was early. It was going to be earlier last year. So, yeah, something like the first week of June. Cool, cool. I thought so. Well, I mean, we're not going to go over the, the typical, how'd you get into reptiles? We covered that already. If you want to know all that stuff. You can go listen to, like, a ton of episodes of NPR. You can go listen to the first episode with Rob. How... How the hell have you kept so much different stuff, dude? <laughs> I mean, mother of God. We were like, yay, let's talk about Ganyasoma. Hey, let's talk about this. And he's like, oh, yeah, but I've kept these. And these. And these. And these. And these. And these. Yep. And these. And these. And these. And these. And it's like, oh, my God. It never stopped. I, I, yeah. I said he pretty much, it looked like he pretty much took my bucket list and just like wiped his ass with it. He's like, yeah, I've had all those. Yep. Thanks. I'm still. Yeah, I don't know, man. Still in awe of the, the Zenagama Taylor Eye, man. That's what me and Phil were talking about those on Snakes and Stogies the other night. I was like, man, whatever happened? Like, no one ever kept those. Now, you if you get, if you come across them, they're stupid expensive. And. Because, like, the Jacksonville Zoo, I think, had some, and that's when I first saw them, and I was like, dude, those are the coolest little lizards ever. They're, like, almost like miniature Euromastics, mm -hmm. except imagine a tail that's, like, almost uh, circular and spiky. Yeah, yeah I know what It's really about. so cool. They had yeah. a little communal group of them in, like, this desert vivarium, and I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. They had little holes in the ground, like little wasps, mm -hmm. and, like, they're like little prairie dog lizards, man. Damn. <laughs> they were mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. So, I, I somebody posted, I, you did actually, a, a meme recently about a, obscure species getting lost. Rob, if you had to pick the most obscure species that you kept, what what would it be? Ooh. I'm turning the fan down um, a little bit. Okay. I'm not sure. Like, I suppose in terms of, so most obscure in terms of kept in the U.S., in captivity uh like, sure kind of, yeah i mean yeah. i just just of your general deal what, what of the things you've kept yeah i guess what have you kept and never like seen again i guess is, is that kind of a better yeah i guess in a way 
where you were like, man, I had those, and now I've never seen one since? Yeah, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me, I guess, in the rat snake context, at least, would be subradiata. So the you see a lot the radiated rat snakes yeah. from mm-hmm. Vietnam. You know those things. So there's a subradiata, which is a related species that's from over like Timor, mm-hmm. and they're they get about the same size. They're pattern differently there's actually some variation you get light ones you get dark one dark ones you get some with pattern some without i mean not a, not a ton of pattern that it sounds uh sounds different you just go google subradiata those the ones that i had were the that had been imported from tula were the only ones that i've seen in the united states and it's not even that you can't get them it's that the desire is yeah. so low because they're not they're non-cites the desire is so low that you just don't see them even like flavolineata you see occasionally mm-hmm. you don't see necessarily the vietnamese ones but you do see them but subradiata those were the only ones that i've ever seen uh, and not even kind of like oh yeah i had those 10 years ago and i got rid of them when you're talking about the u.s certainly in europe klaus schultz had them and stuff like that but in the u.s those were the only ones yeah, I think yeah. I remember you mentioning him because he was the one who sort of originally got rhinos off the ground, right? Yeah, so he and then the folks at uh, Russian Academy of Science and mm-hmm. Tula. So there was a, a field study in the mid-90s where they went out there you know, two or three years and to North Vietnam and collected some. And those were the wound up being the first ones in captivity that I've ever heard of. Uh, and those didn't obviously even come to the U.S. They went to Europe, Russia, and Germany. And the ones that the first ones in the U.S. were offspring from Klaus, descended from those snakes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so I still have some of those, some that trace back to to that first pairing and stuff. My blue, my quote blue line stuff is from is that that's what that is. Okay. And is that like yeah. a legitimate line line? I mean, I said, well, is it a line line or is it a line? Right. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, it's just like Um, chondros. Like, yeah, people are like, this is high yellow. It's like, okay, well, is it actually high yellow because it looks like yet? Like it has a lot of yellow on it or is it actually like Oshi yellow? It's yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, if you have a striped animal, you're like, Oh, I've got a tiger. Like, okay. Is Mm, it a tiger tiger? Or is this just a striped coastal? You know what I mean? Like it's, huh? Okay. Pseudo tiger. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. So relative to that context, then I would say that it's genuinely a line. Okay. It's a particular lineage of snakes that happen to generally throw blue stuff. It's not just something that looks good. Right. Well, you know how us Congo guys love to tear <sighs> lineage apart. And if we don't see what we're looking for, <laughs> it ain't real. <laughs> pick through it. Yeah, like a... I hear you, man. You said this had signal herp blood in it 20 years ago in this lineage, and I don't see it in here anywhere. You're a liar. <laughs> Go back. There's 2.5%. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, might as well be non-existent. Yeah. But I figured since I'm getting the, the Jansen I recent soon, I won't say recent. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Soon? soon? No, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I figured this was probably. Shortly, you will be getting them shortly? Shortly. Soon. At some point, hopefully, as soon eventually, as all my stuff comes in to make the tubs and whatnot. Nah, I figured I was like, well, I mean, 
Rob was like one of the first people I hit up and I was like, hey, how do I not screw this up? <laughs> I asked him, I called Harlan and of course the Harlan phone call turned into like two and a half hours. <laughs> I, I talked to Harlan today. <laughs> By the way, Harlan says hi, Rob. He t- I, t- I told him <laughs> you were coming on the show and he told me to tell you hi. <laughs> Fabulous. So, uh, but yeah, dude, you, you get Harlan on the phone. It just it quickly it's just completely just went off the rails and turned into, into something else. else. Yeah, no, the, you can't you can't be on the phone with him for less than forty five minutes. Um, yeah, so I mean, between you and Harlan and then Billy even kept some at one point. Mm-hmm. Billy kind of gave me some pointers. Any tips? Um, you basic bitch. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, there's there's <laughs> really not a ton of information. That's what I've been there. running. That's been what I've been running into. What I've been re- with my recent research of Kandoya, man. Yeah, there Jake is... wants to touch on Kandoya oh, too. Man. So. Well, I mean, that might have to be a whole other thing because I could. Oh, I want to know everything, but there's really not much out there, and it's a little frustrating. But so what? Yeah, Soma. Well, actually, is there a Ganyasoma you haven't had? All this whole show is going to be what haven't you had because. We're Just, probably going to sound like idiots. We're like, have you had this? And you're like, yeah, I yeah. sent you like 20 pictures of it. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, I mean, you've had pretty yeah. much all of them, right? Yeah, I would say the only the only thing that I haven't had, right, is the, um, well, so the rainbow tree snake from Borneo. Right, that's is that related. the Goniophis? Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. So See, that, I posted a picture of those on Snakes and Stogies, and now Dan Colgan is like losing his mind. He's so mad he can't find any. Like there's none in the states. And he's Damn. like he, like no one can get them. And he's super pissed now cuz I showed him these things. Like, <laughs> look it up, dude. It's unbelievable. I just said it's on the oh, on the H- HM. No, no, no. Uh, just you'll google it in a second. But I'll google it. But you you didn't get any of those at any point? No, I've never so that would be another, you know, in that similar box. So that's something that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Never seen in captivity here at all. I never heard of at all. I think that's probably mostly what they're from Kalamantan and um, Sarawak and even on other stuff. There are very, very few exports from there based on their wildlife laws and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think it's a thing. I have is one of those where it's not even seeing it in Europe or traditionally seeing it in Europe, that sort of thing. So it's just super rare. But otherwise, under what's, well, have you, so have you gotten a chance? Has Billy sent you the article at this point? Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. So I have, there's I have not read it over. I have, there's a lot of stuff that's been sent to me that I have not been read over because I've been busy uploading like trying to catch up Snake and Stogie's episodes uploaded onto the pod like yeah. audio form and that's that's all I've been working on at work for the last like 3 days. So <laughs> yeah, everyone's so like, good, "Did you read over it yet?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't been doing any magazine stuff." <laughs> oh, that's all right cuz there's a couple edits that I want to put in there. So that, that all works, but I just wanted to, to clarify in terms of the conversation. So there are six species right now that out of the Chen paper in 2014, looking at a, a very small number of genes, they decided to lump. And they, I guess the point is, so they're Rinchofus to me. Rhinos are Rinchofus. They should be Rinchofus blenderi to me, based on, you know, in my opinion. And Frenatum should be in, under Rinchofus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a natural group. There's So within the paper, they explicitly say, we're going to put these six things into Ganyasoma. We're lumpers. This is what we do. Realistically, based on the evidence that we see, 
there's at least three different things that you could do taxonomically. We choose to do this one because that's our preference, and that's fine, but I can prefer something else based right. on my own experience and the fact that it's in the, right in the data itself. It says, you know, explicitly says, yeah, there are a multitude of different options depending on how kind of how you take the data and whether you want to be a lump or a splitter in between. So there's three different, within those six, the paper states that there are three different sister relationships that uh, they found within the genes. And they didn't have a ton, possibly any, Jance and I, uh, in their data. I think maybe they had one, but certainly they didn't have a diversity of it, and they didn't have any of the cellular black Jance and I. Yeah. Uh, at a that's minimum. like a but, separate island sort of group, right? That's not a completely different species, but that is like a locality. That's the way it's been treated, and I think that's probably right. So they're interesting because they, well, and I don't want to get too much into this because I want people to read the article when it comes out, but the, <laughs> the broad point for our discussion is that there's really, to me, the prototype Ganyasoma is oxycephalum, and Jantz mm-hmm. and I, in terms of their physical form, their development are a sister species to oxycephalum. So those two go together. And to me, that should be Ganyasoma because those are the prototype Ganyasoma. When I say a Gani, I mean an oxycephalum or a Jansenai. The Rinchophus and uh, Belongeri and Frenatum go together both genetically and in terms of form. I know it was one of the pictures that I put in hopefully makes the article. I had a wild rhino come in that had its horn was injured, whether it was pushing on the bag. It must have had some sort of injury to it, and then it was just pushing on the bag in terms of importation. And when it had its first shed, it actually shed off its horn. And so I have multiple photos of this thing, and it looks like a phrenotum, like a a weird phrenotum. You'd look at it and be like, what the heck is that? And it had like a, not even a a scar would overstate it, on the rostral where the the horn appendage had been. Mm -hmm. So... Um, those two, to me, clearly go together. They're both gray, gray babies that go through an oxygenic change. All this stuff again. And then Prasinum and the Ganyophis presumably go together. That's sort of what they're... Ultimately, mm-hmm. I guess taking a step back, the entire paper, from my perspective, the entire paper was they had gotten access to these uh, a genetic sample of Ganyophis, and they wanted to do something with it. That's basically what the whole paper was about. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they got this rare sample. They wanted to do something with it, and this is what wound up happening. So to me, that's not a valid basis for them getting rid of what clearly is a, a distinct genus in terms yeah, of Rinchopus for Boulangeri and Frenatum. I mean, if you look at any, you know, Jansenai or the Oxys, and then you look at a rhino, it's like, well, how would you connect those dots? Like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see, like, a slight resemblance, but it's like... What like when I heard that I was like that's that's lumping for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what it is. And so again, I I can see where where someone would be coming from, yeah. but the thing that I that I don't accept, and so the first bit of the article is going into this is just when I put Rinchofus, and then someone says, "No, you didn't read the paper from 2014." Oh, I I guarantee I promise you that I've read it and understood it far more than you who's making this comment to me. I just choose to reject it as the authors of the article say is okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're also looking at if you look at all those species and all their ranges, like ranges combined, that's a massive area. 
So it's like, yeah, did they really? Did they really try? Like, as far as divergence and stuff, it's like, did they really? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the papers. Plot? Yeah, I mean, clearly there is. So there is clearly a relationship amongst them. But in the paper, I believe, and I don't have it in front of me, but my recollection is that in their kind of summation or what they're choosing to do, they say, oh, well, they're just 4 million years divergent, and that's not that much. Well, I would say that that is a legitimate amount, and I don't mind having a either a monotypic or, a, you know, turning, having three genera each with two species, and their preference is just to have a single genera with six. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I, I, I understand it, but the least related species in, to any of the rest of those things was actually oxycephalum. So really? I, they didn't have chance and I samples. So it's like, okay, everything becomes Ganyasoma, and the thing that's least related to all of the rest of them is the prototype Ganyasoma. <laughs> the, the, the pilot species yeah. for the group. <laughs> so to me, that it's just isn't what I'm going to go with. I understand the argument, but I choose to do mm -hmm. something else. So this has been a very uh, a long and convoluted diversion. But So I've had oxys chance and I, Prenatum, Prasinum, which are Radnopus Prasinum, uh, the green bush rat snakes, that mm -hmm. is the one we kind of haven't talked about here, and I don't actually talk about a ton in the article, and then Bolangeri, and the Ganyophis. So, so it's, the Prasinum and the Ganyophis seem to go together in terms of genetically. Mm -hmm. Prenatum and Bolangeri clearly do, both in terms of their appearance and genetically, and Oxys and Chance and I clearly go together based on their physical appearance and form and all the structures that they have in them. So mm -hmm. um, I kind of think of them as three groups of sister species I don't have and never have had, Ganyophis, so I can only talk about Prasinum. And that's sort of why I didn't talk about it much in the article. But the Prasinum are African? No, so they're, they're actually from... They have a very wide range compared to, I suppose, Oxycephal, both in terms of area. I'm not sure exactly how it measures up but because you're talking about islands, but Oxys and Jansenai have, I would say, relatively constrained range, being insular species, although mm -hmm. some of those islands are a little bit big. Frenatum and Belangerai are very similar in terms of northern Vietnam, southern China. And then Prasinum are all the way from kind of northern Vietnam over to northern Thailand. Maybe even, uh, I don't know, I'd have to pull up the... I, I must, did actually I bring I'm out... getting those mixed up with, a, with an African species... Uh, yeah, so, well, and especially with that name, right? Greenbush Rat right, Snake. It's very right. nondescript. Um, but they go all the way from Hainan to almost India, maybe even into mm -hmm. India. So it's a huge range on those. Although the stuff that we have, I think, is mostly from either northern Vietnam or Thailand. Yeah. Uh, especially since, you know, Laos mm -hmm. and Myanmar like, are not exactly... Uh, well-studied places in terms of Western stuff. But I would say that the difference, so Prasinum, actually, you can get them in the same, in Tam Dao, in the same spot that kind of the prototype rhinos are from. But uh, they don't go through an ontogenic change. They have brilliant blue eyes, kind of like ruffies. They, uh, they're, they're very different. So to me, again, it's like, well, they're not the same thing. I, I don't know, I don't have as strong a feeling as to what they are, but they are clearly not the same in the same way that... Yeah. Rhinos and Frenatomon. 
Yeah, well, Jance and I have been on my list for, like, the first time I saw one, I was like, that is, like, one of the baddest-looking snakes ever. I don't know what it is. Like, I'm usually <laughs> not one who's for, like, necessarily white or, like, cream-colored snakes, right. but it's, like, when you get that black fade and the, you know, the black sort of in between the, the scales and stuff, I was like, that thing looks awesome. Yeah, I love all the stuff in that in that genus, man. It, it's so cool. I, if I'm being honest, hey, a, lot of this, a lot of the scientific names y'all are listing, it's all gibberish to me. I, I, I don't I don't know the... Peasant. Yeah, no, yeah, I am a peasant when it comes to, to Ghani Soma, 100%. I'm not going to act like I, I, I know everything about them, but they're definitely Yeah, very... so I guess, the, however far into this we are, the the qualifier would be to say when when we're talking Ghani Soma, to me that means Oxycephalum and Chance and I. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different forms within that, right? So you get the, I actually really like the, you get the odd-colored Oxycephalum that used to be called Flower Eye that are, you get the gray ones that are cool, but then you get so the same that gray form can either be like a silver gray, or you can get ones that are orange and purple. And I sent you a bunch of pictures of those. Yeah. Those are my probably my favorite oxies. But yeah, Jansen, and I am with you, man. So there's two different kinds. Basically, there's the the normal ones, the cream and yellow, uh, cream and yellow slash black ones, and then there's the cellar ones that are born. So all Jance and I are actually born looking like Oxycephalum. Yeah. Yet, another, yet another feature speaking to how they're similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the closest of their relationship. But uh, the Cellar ones, they're like black milk snakes, so that they are born looking like Oxycephalum, and they get progressively more black. Denver Zoo was one of the big, one of, if not the most successful breeders, certainly in the United States, of that form. Basically, all of the ones that I'm aware of were either produced there or were produced from those Mm -hmm. so i was fortunate to be exposed to some of that when i was volunteering out there and seeing seeing that and the trials and tribulations that went into that and then essentially all of the ones that ultimately were surplused i think my partner tom and i had bought Mm -hmm. so then involved with them both you know kind of on the sidelines and then actively getting them so those are really cool too those i haven't seen in a very long time yeah, I've only seen pictures. I don't, and not even recent ones. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. The, to me, that 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 whole group, be it the Oxys or the Jansen Eye, that's they're almost like, sort of in the same league as like vine snakes. In that you see them imported all the time. You see next to none captive bred on a regular basis, and so it's like you would think that would kind of be a signal of there's something going on here that where these just don't really work. Mm-hmm. Um. But then you have guys yeah. in Europe that have, like, an, you know, there's a whole website, it's org, and it's literally an entire website that just talks about the care of both Oxys and the Chance and I. Mm-hmm. And they spell it all yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's mostly just your talk. It's sort of like a Spilotes thing, right? Where now they've sort of come into oh, fashion and more yeah. people are working with them and trying, you know? So it's, they're a big, active, diurnal snake that if, when it has gone through, Sort of a hellish process and maybe it's getting dehydrated out of that and then getting its feed and you might actually be into treating that you have to be into treating them just with their body form and stuff whereas mm-hmm. typically unless something is really unless it's failing to thrive based on what kind of what it came in with out of the wild i'm generally I generally try and take a hands-off approach to that stuff but on those true ghanis it's it's possible that they can just do so poorly that you, you need to try and deal with it 
Um, but yeah, I, I think it's heck if people are having success with Pattayas, those were considered much well even more difficult. I would really? say Ghanis were always considered difficult, but yeah, Pattayas were because they're sort of like indigos with emotional problems or something. <laughs> they like an indigo, right? They're it's super tuned in, attuned to what you're doing, right. and pays a lot of attention. Pattayas are the same, except where the indigo sort of then takes on the, the personality of saying, okay, well, what presumably this means something positive for me, whether it's food or, or whatever, certainly not negative, the Pattayas are the opposite, where they'll freeze, and then the second you look away, then they bolt, generally speaking, which is it's just sort of a bummer. But they're, they're equally smart, but they're afraid, as opposed to an indigo that doesn't seem to be afraid of basically anything. Sounds like my scrub. <laughs> Little asshole. This is, yeah. I, the, to me, like, they almost seem like a sort of a combination as far as care goes, like a combination between Spilodes and Boiga. Like my Boiga, I yeah. don't mess with. They're not like they're not animals that like to be messed with. They like to be left alone. They do great if you just pretty much ignore their existence. And I feel like these really aren't that much different. <clears throat> um, I know I was told. A while ago, me and Harlan were talking about him long before I was getting any. Um, and he was saying, uh, or maybe it was Nipper, I don't know. But basically they were like, if you get them and they're, they're fresh imports, they're like, don't treat them immediately. Like, hmm. leave them be. Yeah. Because, like, the meds will, I think it was probably Nipper. I think Nipper was like, they, it will definitely, like, they will die. They just, they don't do well yeah. with meds right off the bat. You know, right off the rip, just let them settle, give them, like, a couple weeks a month or whatever, a couple months, and then start sort of introducing that. Just get them. It's it's almost like just serious triage. So it's like, like, it's like the it's stress like, of the whole thing just mixed with medication, just a disaster combo for well, them. Well, yeah, I mean, their immune system's already compromised because right. they're imports, and they're already high-strung animals to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of, it's all the... They're very different than scrubs, but it'd be the same thing. And I, I think the scrubs, spilotes, any of that stuff, except being diurnal, that sort of stuff, comparative to scrubs. But uh, to me, the big key is just getting them that when they're not that big. I think when you get really big ones, and mm-hmm. I've gotten really big ones, that's where you're talking probably above four, four and a half, four, four and a half foot, something like that, is just going to be they're going to have a really tough time acclimating. You're just going to have to be super hands-off and very low-key. But the same thing would be with a script python that was six or seven feet long when it came in. Yeah, you know, yeah. you'd have to do the same. If you do, if you approach it the same way, I think you'd be you'd be okay. They just don't have the body mass that a scrub does of mm-hmm. the same size. So it gives you less of a less of a cushion, right, to protect, to, to kind of just play things out and see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I think... If you could get really small ones, that they probably would do pretty well. Especially if you go big on cork bark and go big on plastic foliage, whatever you want to mm-hmm. do, just so they have plenty of options. Yeah. And then you basically leave them alone. If the, if that happens and then they're eating, they should do fine. Yeah. Now whether you'll be able to produce them is probably a product of if you have the patience to then yeah. kind of wait it out and just like okay, you know, now I'm gonna give it two or three because that was basically the thing. Denver Zoo with the Celiar stuff was that it was it was just a function of time. It was even I 
think all that stuff came from a single pair. It was just establish this pair, and then if you would put in the three or four or five years of waiting, then you'll have success. And is that that was like waiting before you paired them, or was that pairing them with no success? That was keeping them together. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they were together on display for that whole time, and it ultimately it turned into it was infertiles, and then it was trying to figure out how to incubate them so you didn't mm-hmm. have full-term dead in the egg stuff, and then some of that stuff was totally bizarre. There's one that's still in a jar that was it turned itself into a pretzel, like it hard, hard-wrapped itself, it, obviously Jeez. trying to get out. So that's the other... I guess the other bit with them, and they're sort of like the Orthriophis stuff, the beauties and the Mullendorfi mm-hmm. and Cantoris and stuff. They have weird thick eggs. Yet a different, yet another difference, right, from Pronatum and Belongeri is that they uh, they have this really striated, thick, hard egg. It's I think yeah, we were talking about this before. So you were talking mm-hmm. about potentially offering extra calcium to chondro females and stuff, and yeah. certainly it would be a good idea with hognose and things that have a tend to, tendency to be undercalcified window and that stuff. So I wouldn't do that with Ghanis, and I wouldn't do it with Orthriophis because those eggs are already so thick. I think a lot of the problems in terms of incubation come down to them, the neonates being unable to get out of the egg, actually. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's from being kept too moist or too plump, not letting them be a little bit dried out so there are natural creases that they can use their tooth on. Mm-hmm. Um but they, they're both those seem to kind of, you want them, there's a particular time when they come out, seems like about 120 days, and if they're going much longer than that, you might have to cut them open, you know, above the membrane, cutting them open so that any vessels are still intact, yeah. just to make sure they can get out. Because I, I think that's probably a lot of what was going on, and probably why the, that Jance and I at the zoo had pretzeled up, is because it was trying desperately to get out, and it wound up just tying itself into a knot. Hmm. Yeah, the, the website that ganyasoma.org, like the breeding section, it was basically saying, like, these things are tough. We're still kind of not exactly sure. Like, they're not exactly dialed in yet. Like, mm-hmm. we have a pretty good idea, but uh, I think it talked about, like, humidity with the eggs was kind of a big thing. Like, the eggs the eggs seem kind of fragile. Like, it didn't take much for them to, to take a wrong turn. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's probably right, you know, especially if you're cooking them high, which they, I think that's part of it, right? Whereas with Belandri and Pranatum, man, I've cooked those, I just literally put them in a box or in a in a tub that's sitting, using either the light, light diffuser stuff so they're over water or more typically what I would do would be over vermiculite that's saturated, you know, heavy saturated mm-hmm. vermiculite and then you have the light grate sitting on top of it or nowadays just put them in like an eight ounce cup seated on that same substrate or whatever so it's exposed to that high humidity but it's completely dry i've also incubated them in vermiculite or whatever but the point was going to be that those i just set them in the room like room temp literally whatever it is and it's fine so that i've done it i've gotten kind of late eggs that i then did that with at temperatures that were in the 60s and not being not in an incubator, they're having a huge variance night today, right? So you're talking about thermal time that they've mm-hmm. been exposed to certain temperatures and stuff. And there probably is some minimum, I'm sure there is some minimum temperature at which they wouldn't develop. But if you cook them at kind of 78 
to 80, you know, somewhere in that range. The Boulangerie hatch, hatch in 60 days. If you do them in the 60s, so and then they're getting to the low 60s at night, they hatch in 120, but they still hatch. Right. You know, whereas Ganyasoma being a much larger baby, I think do take a higher temp. So it's mm -hmm. just if you're talking in an incubator rather than just sort of seated on the floor, not even a shelf, but on the floor, it's uh, it probably it, it, you have to incubate them in an incubator, and that just is less therm you know less thermally stable depending on the size of your incubator and it's just more likely to run into difficulties mm -hmm. so i think i think on ghanis you're probably you would still want to run them a little low but that probably means like 83 82 okay. 83 getting some fluctuation in there you could you could fluctuate a little bit higher but i wouldn't personally i wouldn't go nuts and then i would just kind of wait it out and see how it see how it goes so the only I've never produced, I, well, never bred either of them. I got a wild-caught oxy that was gravid that laid eggs, and I hatched them. Um, oh. But that's it. So I haven't bred oxys or Jansen I, but I've hatched oxys. And what were your setups like for the, I guess, sub-adults to adults? Because the ones I'm getting, they're not babies, but they're not huge either. They're, I'd probably say they're Honestly, man, yeah, as long as they're eating, well... So they've come in, they've been in for some length of time, and they're yeah. feeding well. I think you'll do fine. Like, I would treat them like you do your boy gun. Mm -hmm. And you'll do fine. Well, what, so what are you doing temps-wise for your boy gun generally? Uh, they have a heat panel, and it's set at, I want to say probably around 85. Maybe a little okay. lower, because it's it's 200-quart tub that they're in with the Python portals from David Brahms. Shout out to David. Shout out. Okay. Shameless plug. <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, and those work out really well. I mean, they're going to outgrow them at some point, probably within the next year, I suspect, um, just at the rate that they grow. Um, but that's I mean, when you what, get an MP cages and exotics right. cage. <laughs> I've already been talking to Sean. Like, here's what I'm planning for the next like year or two. I feel like he could make like with his with his built-in enclosures, man. I feel like he could make some badass yeah. stuff or something yeah. like that, man. Well, I, really cool. When you're, I think Boiga. When we're talking about sort of the whole naturalistic versus tub debate, the exhausting debate, <laughs> the never-ending um, debate, I do feel like Boiga and and like Ghanis and stuff like that probably do benefit from having as much space as you can give them because you know they're climbers, they're they're active. You know? Yeah, the they, they all move. Over the place they move the a lot. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I, I mean it's it's a tough call, right? Because so generally speaking, I tend to have the best success in smaller enclosures. So not, I mean, there's obviously limitations. You're not going to fit a 14-foot apodora into a 3-foot cage. You know, that's yeah. not going to happen. But, like, it literally <coughs> probably wouldn't even go in there. You know, they're strong enough that it, it wouldn't even go in. It's just going to grab on any corner and pull itself just out. And, flex and, and it's halfway the across off. the room. <laughs> yeah. They're so stupid strong, man. Yeah, I mean that—that's a thing that can happen. I've had him break glass before. I had Jesus, a big female that's all pretzels up, pretzled up uh, in some of those pictures that I sent you. Leaned against the glass, flexed herself out, and literally split quarter-inch glass. Oh my god, dude! They're made of clay and steel. I'm telling you, when I see them, I'm like, that, yeah. that snake is made of like metal cable that holds up bridges. I just imagine like if if you were unfortunate enough to accidentally have one of those things get around your neck. 
you're done. Oh, you die. They, they're, they're you're done. There's nothing you can do about that. It's you like know? having that dude from Restaurant Impossible, Robert Irvine. You've seen that dude's arms, man. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> that guy wraps those around your head and just flexes a little bit. Your head's popping like a grape. It's just yeah, that's, a, that's an apodora. Well, I guess I, I should say, at a minimum, if it's not actually trying to constrict you, it's just using you as a tree, then you'd probably just pass out. I yeah, guess. Oh, yeah, that's you all. You just hit your head on the out. concrete. Yeah, you know they're, they're one of those snakes that could accidentally hurt you. Like they they could be totally fine, they but they're just climbing strength. and all of a sudden, just, you know. And oh god, Andre the Giant. Yeah. I want I want him so bad. Anybody want a peanut? Oh my god. Yeah. So any, anyway, what I was gonna say is that I generally find that even with even with active stuff, that I like to use smaller enclosures and then use like provide extra space extra functional like space. utilize I guess the empty part of it, space right exactly i mean the to me that's yeah yes that that's the the mistake people make man is that we just have you say and it's sort of the bummer right of a two-foot cube is that absent stacking that thing full of cork bark tubes and flats you're gonna just have a bunch of empty space and it's like well it doesn't that's useless. It might as well be in something smaller because yeah, yeah. there's nothing for it to utilize. Whereas if you take like a three three by two and the whole thing is filled with rounds that then have flats separating them, man, all of a sudden it's functionally uh, at least depending on the width of the mm-hmm. animal, obviously, and whether there's a light and all. There there are a ton of different variables, you know, substrate, all this different stuff. Right. But generally speaking, you've just turned that into functionally maybe like a nine foot cage. If the whole thing is actually like three different tiers going on and they tend to do really well because a lot of that, they're much less exposed or at least they're choosing when to be exposed. So that's generally the way I go. I would say that this, the setup that you're talking about sounds ideal. And I think, yeah, man, as long as you get them, they look good and they're eating. Mm-hmm. I think you'll have great success, yeah, or at least at a minimum they'll do <laughs> they'll survive. I've been know? told the female is eating fine. I've heard the I've been also been told the male can be kind of finicky, but I've also read that that's kind of par for the course with them. Like males can be particular. They kind oh, yeah. of choose when they eat. Yeah, <laughs> which happens with my boy it... Like my cyania, anytime I feed him, I'm like, "Are you gonna eat this time? Or are you not? Like, let's yeah. play a game." And right. you know, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. I don't freak out. When they were small, I worried because they're small snakes. Like they need a lot of right. need calories. But when he's bigger, like Nipper was like, "Dude, my boy eat like six months out of the year." My males. He's like, "They're fine." I was like, "Dude, this thing's like anorexic as is. They're so thin." I'm like, "They need sustenance. They need something to stay alive." He was like, "Nah." Well, that's like the irregularis we saw in the Northern Territory, man. So I don't. One of them, probably the smallest one looked in good condition <laughs> the other four or five or whatever looked you know if, if that was a captive one you'd be very worried it's just <laughs> sort of their natural body form but it's like and clearly you know when we were there it was the end of the dry the build you know in the build-up getting wet and it was like man this thing uh could clearly use a feed for sure mm-hmm. well i think that kind of speaks to their their overall operation you know like like i've right. said before like their their nest raiders do they'll eat anything they can fit in their mouths and so I guess yeah. when you're that they, thin, you can't be picky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're aggressive too. I mean, they'll they'll go for, not. Uh, I mean, in the feeding context, where it's yeah. like if they're feeding and they want to eat, then they will eat aggressively Dude. and sort of do the the Why? classic, you know, king snake 
overpowered. Like, a monster yeah. with food. She scares me, honestly. Like, when I go to feed her, I'm like, she, she'll sit in the, the elevated hide, right? And I'll put that mouse right in that hole, and she'll just freaking, I mean, like, full Oosh. force, and it yeah. it makes me pee myself every time. <laughs> and then it's now got to a point where if I open the cage and she's out, she's like, ah! Like, she comes for yeah. me. I'm like, hey, asshole, let's yeah. get, get back in there. I'm hoping you have eggs yeah. from those, too, soon. Oh yeah, that's right. You've been paired. You paired those mm-hmm. up uh, quite a few times. Homeboy was on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was all about it, man. He was, was like, all I was kind of worried because like they do, they will cannibalize. Like they're kind of well known for doing that. And I was like, I just thought the female the was. Size, I just thought the female was young because like I remember when well, you got her. I so. thought so too. But then I talked to like <clears throat> Terry Burwell and Nipper and some other guys, and they're like, Yeah, dude, do it. At two like, years okay. old. Because we had already yeah, started this half? podcast when when you got her. I remember no, when you I got just, her. And I I was told by people who have had more time with them than I, and they were yeah. like, give it a shot, and I did, and they locked, so we'll see. Could be the biggest mistake I've ever made. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it'll be that, man. I don't, I mean, I don't <laughs> think so either. It's, this is one of those It's things. whatever. I don't know. I'm always weird about, like, age stuff size i i, I kind of throw out the window as long as they're an adult size but you know well, the also, age thing for me is always a something i i look into you know females being of a, a mature age for it's, retaining I think it's eggs also wise to kind of look at a species like when you look at cyania like those are prolific in the wild like those are those are not uncommon right like clearly those are breeding a lot mm-hmm those are probably breeding pretty young in the wild. Yeah, like, you know, compared and it's, to scrubs or other anything right. Else, like, and it's just probably... one of those things. Like I'm not used to hearing that a two and a half year old female can should be able to mm-hmm. go. You know, it's just one of those things. Like, I don't know much about. You and know, I'm sure there's the plenty of other people that would say so. I would have waited, but yeah. yeah, who knows? We're gonna find out. Yeah, I mean that's one of those things you don't really know till you try. You miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> God, shut up. 60 <laughs> percent of the time it works every time. 60 percent. Uh, yeah, it's a good good quote to live by. Getting back on track, because Jake keeps derailing us. How do I... <laughs> what? <laughs> as far as substrate, though, I was... I, once again, I'm going to say this a lot. I read, I read on the internet, so it has I to be re- true. I read on Google. I, the Google machine told me that substrate is probably not a great idea with them. I think Harlan agreed that substrate is probably not a great idea with them. And it sounds like they're they're very easily prone to skin infections and, and too much humidity or too much moisture, I should say. Uh, and so my plan was, like I said, I'm going to keep them pretty much exactly how I keep my boy. Puppy pads. Puppy pads. Bum, Paper towels. Bum. Something. <laughs> yeah, so, I think that's right. Certainly I kept them, I've kept them on a whole variety of different things, but I've never kept them in South Carolina. I don't know what your relative humidity is like. Oh, we're, we practically here, do. Here we, we walk around with snorkels. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, here we don't believe in it. So. Yeah. In the summer, it's on a on the average day, it's at least like sixty, seventy, if not way higher on the average day. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. It, it's ninety degree so, high heat index of like one hundred. Yeah. Humidity ninety so percent. Keeping it there, I think my only if you wanted to do a substrate, I think you could, but I would probably do them like cypress on top of hydroclay. You know, mm-hmm. a, a dark drainage. frog, thing, yeah. even dark frog style, so that they can, you know, it'll drain and and dry out a little bit. Yeah, you don't want them sitting permanent wet. That's not a problem that 
sort of I would run into based on my atmospheric conditions generally. So mm-hmm. it's, I, I wouldn't, I never worried about that. If anything, it was a question of trying to bump it up. But, uh, you know, if you wanted to do it, that's what I would do. I'd put down an inch of hydroclay and then you put cypress or whatever on top of it. That'd be fine. Nice. I don't, I'm probably overthinking it. I know I, all the time I'm talking about, like, people overthink chondros. And here I am. I feel like I'm doing it with these damn things. Being a little bitch. Yeah. I'm like, like the, these, no, these are, prob- are going to be challenging, but I don't it, think they're going to be hard. That's the thing about it, though, is, <clears throat> excuse me, with any Scared. with any new species like that, you know, it's a, it's a large snake. It's new. It's not super duper common there's not a shit ton of info out there it's like you know it's you got to do your due diligence with stuff like that man you know a part of part of keeping is representing these animals in the best way possible and keeping them as healthy as possible and you know that's how you do it you shouldn't be scared but you know it's one of those things Oh, I'm sure yeah. there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of people that get them and they're like oh yeah these are cool I'm gonna keep it like a corn snake and then it dies and they're like man these things are hard Right, exactly, and that's exactly what happened. I can't keep it like my ball python; it's not eating. Exactly, they can't throw a Zoomed heat pad under it and keep I'll it in a twenty-gallon tank. And, yeah, throw a heat rock in that bitch, and you know it's yeah. Keep it on Aspen. And that right there is exactly how the obscure species fall to the bottom of the pool and it drown. Is. It's true. You know, because people just impulse buy something cheap and just feel like a complete idiot i feel so green i'm like i don't know what do i do i don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> yeah i think i'll do all right yeah you'll do fine dude you are you're a fantastic keeper billy did say they're like some of the fastest snakes he's ever kept which i thought was surprising because he's got radiated and he's got Yo, the he's got some fast I'm snakes like, how is that i was like they don't look like they'd be that fast because i mean they're kind of built like they're kind of they're bulky a little bulky he's like dude they're, they're horrible Damn. <laughs> they suck. You have to let me come play with them. Well, I guess part of that I would say depends on whether you're trying to hook them, because yeah, they would be—they're unpleasant to hook. You know, they certainly don't ride a hook generally, and if they do, then they're going to ride it all the way, try and ride it to your hand. Um, but the—if you just grab them, I don't—I don't know. I guess they're like Tyus to me. So that Tyus I sent Billy. Was like, oh, you're him. the was reason, like, yeah, man. You're the cause. <laughs> you're the one that got him up a Yeah, I, like that thing is pretty fast. And I, when I had first gotten it, yeah, there was one where like I put her into the tub and then I went to close the tub and she bit me. <laughs> like she turned around <laughs> and bit me, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you're pretty fast. Yeah, don't but, let the uh, door hit you on the on the way out. <laughs> yeah, right. The. Uh, I, I guess they're about the same. At big sizes, they tend to be a little bit more... It, to me, it seems just like they're... The Pataias, they don't seem like they're thinking. You know, just they're going, just sort of reactive. Yeah, they just yeah, go, yeah. they're super reactive. And, set, and I guess when you talk about radiateds, they're especially big, wild radiateds or ra- radiateds that are wild caught are a little bit like that, where they're just sort of reacting, not thinking. The Ghanis, to me at least, are thinkers. But they can be they can be quick for sure, but not not problematically so. I feel like the bigger ones like there's just more snake to grab if it if it yeah. darts. If you're you if know. you're using your hands, it's 
it's not. I've never found it to be a problem. I've had problems with a hand, you know, I've had plenty of things, but I wouldn't, that wouldn't be one that would jump out to me and be like, oh yeah, I remember a certain instance where I had a problem with that. Hmm. At all. It, Team more Pythons? Yes. Lesser Sundas Pythons? Yes. <laughs> it just makes me laugh because I see pictures of people holding their, their Ganya Soma and like you see the throats all puffed up. It's like that thing wants to light you up so bad. So bad. <laughs> I think that's one of the coolest things that about them great. though, just the way they puff up. I I, lo- I love how it go. It's like a downward. Like, yeah, like yeah. very like a throat. Compressed. It's a throat, you know, puff compared to something like you know a, a neuroma. There you go. Where There's another like difference. Why I say body. that rhinos aren't ganis is oh, that yeah, uh, rhinos and frenatum don't do that. Mm. They have different eggs. They don't do that. They <laughs> they go through a completely different omnigenic chain. Sorry, just just had to throw that out there. Well, while we were while we're here, that's a pretty cool <laughs> structure to be able to fill your throat with air to puff up and create this awesome defensive display and then you mm-hmm. have rhinos and frenatum that can't do that yeah. so to me that's a difference but whatever yeah whatever you know i don't make the rules do you feel like were frenatum ever not necessarily common but was there a time where they were they were you saw them more often for sale or were they always kind of just like you'll see one or two for sale a year and then they disappear into the void Certainly in terms of captive breeding, they've always been uncommon. Um, in the mid mid to late 90s, when they were the novel thing or a novel thing with Boulangerai, they uh, were a little more popular, I think, because it was just sort of a weird, unknown thing. But because they are so similar, I think it's like, well, it's sort of like an angrier Grinchophis that is not uh, doesn't have a horn, so isn't sort of distinctive in that way. Hmm. And... Yeah, just generally they're a little bit, a little bit more, a touch more aggressive, and aggressive, flightier, more likely. To, those I would say actually, it's funny they compared to rhinos. Those certainly are squirmier. You know, kind of what we were just talking about. Those are a little bit, a little bit like that. My little, but, my little rhino that I had for a week. Just got, you just had to bring it up. <laughs> Terry Burwell's probably listening and laughing at me. So he loves to like he'll send me a random message that's like, "Oh, I see you're getting these. Try not to lose them." And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but that well, little rhino so, I had, man, that little thing was kind of spunky. Dude, he was he was a screamer cool. too, man. God, he was don't so cool. Don't mind me. I don't even. I think I only got to see that thing in person like once. Me too. Or it was fucking gone. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, I would I would say. I'd, I've never lost them and not found them, but they they are something that certainly I keep in sealed or lidded containers. I uh, agree. Uh, <laughs> when they're like, first born, yeah. I, I wouldn't keep them just in a rack. That that would be my would have been great I, unless you're talking some like months ago. Now yeah. you tell them. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if if you had said, "Hey, man, yeah, I got this two or three or four month old or whatever it was," you know, Rhino would say. Yeah, man, just get like literally a three dollar plastic tub from the grocery if you want to, or you could get go fancy and get a twelve dollar, you know, Rubbermaid. I'd lock it up like Hannibal Rubbermaid Lecter if I knew they something. were gonna fly the coop that easily. They're very kind of squashy. They certainly seem to be able to kind of squash their certainly their bodies, but even their heads. They get through smaller spots than you would think. Um, Agreed. So yeah, I mean, they're not 
tiny, tiny. They're small babies, but they're not tiny, tiny compared to Dina Don or Garter Snakes or something they're like small that. Small enough. They they're small enough, and they're flexible enough that, and they they will give it a go. So yeah, I would do you know sealed containers and then just pop holes in them with you know a sixteen inch a sixteenth of an inch drill or drill bit or whatever, and then once they are really feeding good and and getting big, then it's not nearly such a concern. But yeah, that that would be my advice for sure. Well, I mean, I already like this rack is is cursed that I have because I don't know how many baby alterna oh got out of that God. damn thing, dude. Every other week, I felt like you were telling me, "Oh no, yeah, alterna no, got an out." Alterna in the house somewhere. I gotta find it. God, Katie <laughs> just found an alterna yeah. on the floor. It was to the point where Ellie was like, "Dad, there's a gray band in the hallway." And I was like, <laughs> oh my God! It's like I didn't even know that one was gone. It, like yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, so that. I certainly, I probably wouldn't keep anything in there because to me, I was going to compare them to, to the rhinos compared to alternanthera's babies. Like to me, alternanthera don't really, even when they're equally the same length, you know, or same size, even the same length and width, they are not as prone to escaping. So if you have something that those are getting out of, that definitely won't work for a rhino. Yeah. Again. Information. Yeah, in the yeah, 2020 well, hindsight. We needed to have this conversation, yeah, at some period of time ago. But I'm, I guess I'm bringing it up now in the context that I know, whether from Terry or myself or whatever. Ultimately, you will get some more, and maybe even Billy. I'm going to send him some. So, from one of us, you will get some more eventually. And it was like that was also do, one of my my dream species, man. I was like, I finally got a ride. I remember seeing the the pro exotic ads as a kid and being like, those are so cool. That was when they were stupid expensive. I was like, man, those yeah. things are awesome. And I got this one. I was like, it, I was holding it at work. I was you're like, geeking, it's real. You're geeking and out it, about and that it bit thing, me, man. And I was like, this is awesome. I love it. And, and then I opened the tub one day, and I was like, where is it? And I looked under the paper towel like three times, dude, <laughs> just to make sure I wasn't like going crazy. The sad right. thing is you had already lost it and found it once, didn't you? No. I thought it got out no, one that time. Was an alternative. There was one alternative that got out like three times, dude. I thought you had. I thought that thing got out every, once every and time you found I it. thought I had put enough under the tub to to press it against the top. Yeah. I didn't like the alternative freaking got. I was like, what the hell? It's like the freaking Houdini snakes, dude. Yeah. So the alternative is harder because you do want to give those some access to heat, but the rhinos are easy, man, because right. you literally just set them on a shelf. Like just that's what I'm saying. Just get like a Ziploc lunch tub mm-hmm. and sit it on the shelf or loosen your next sit it on top of your dart frog tank you know just let one of the tanks just just set it right there cohab like, them with the fun. dart frogs oh my god then i wouldn't even have to worry about feeding them dude they could go i have a free buffet i have so many vitatis coming out of my ears that it's like just put a rhino in there let them handle it i think that yeah they probably take I, i'm not i fed mine tadpoles. so i don't know about frogs but tadpoles so that's the thing is you're well situated to feed them tadpoles. Most people, well, and probably too, because you, at this point, are you selling frogs? Yeah. Do you have a clear avenue to do that? Dude, I sell Vitatis wholesale regularly. Like if I wanted to get like a dragon snake or something that's a frog eater, I'd be good. And that's why yeah, anybody I mean, who's that's... like wanting like wants a species that eats frogs, but they're like, I don't have easy access to frogs. Frogs, get like a pair or a trio of Vitatis. And I guarantee you, within like a year, you'll have more than enough. Like I'm practically yeah, giving the things I mean, away. Yeah, or you're then you'll feel 
totally fine about feeding him out. I don't even <laughs> you know, feel bad. I fed tadpoles to him. I, my, that little one I had, I gave him a couple tadpoles because I tried pinkies and it wasn't feeling it. So I was like, hey, I'll throw some of these in the water bowl with a pinky. And it took them. Oh, yeah. that's I'm So I've never fed them a tadpole because I haven't been that swimming in tadpoles. Or, or even if you're sitting on a rodus or whatever, it's always been like, well, I think I'd rather grow it up and have the 20 bucks credit or whatever than I would, you know, get uh, feed it out. But if you were in a spot to do that, that's almost certainly what they take in the wild. Between that and fish, mm-hmm. you know, fish, I think it's mostly that their movement is similar enough to tadpoles that they'll yeah. go for it. And they probably do take them in the wild, but kind of man, I think tadpoles is the play, you know, that's what, that's almost certainly what they're eating. And when they're small in the wild, the cool mm-hmm. bit is that they actually transition those Russian uh, field studies showed all the color changed ones were had rodents in their gut. So they, that's what makes them so nice is they're, yeah, they can be hard, not, not impossible, but they can be tricky to start. Certainly mm-hmm. not hard, hard compared to Solomon tree boas or any of the candoia. Well, any of the, certainly the arboreal candoia. Um, not hard like that, but yeah. they, uh, it can be tricky, but if you had tadpoles to give them, go for it. And then as you saw, if you float a frozen thug pink in the, in the water bowl with those tadpoles, they'll almost always eat that too. And mm-hmm. then you can transition to just tossing in a frozen thug pink into the water bowl. And then eventually you get them on pinks. And even those that were slow to start, man, a day will come. And what you're talking about with the boiga happens where you open the tub and they're coming out looking for something to eat, you know. And they'll, they'll go for anything. Although the good bit is that the second you touch them and, and they kind of convey that message that they're not feeding, it's not a feeding situation, yeah. then they totally chill out. It's extraordinarily rare, even with wild-caught rhinos, to get bit by one not in a feed response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so cool, man. It's nice to see too that there's there's a lot of people doing stuff with them now. Because like I said, when I was a kid, I remember seeing the the pictures and the articles and Pro Exotics had them, and it was like, I think at the time it was probably you, I would think, Chad, and maybe like one or two other people that were even doing anything with them. But you'd have a better idea so the first- of that time frame than I would. Yeah, so, I mean, certainly in the U.S., you know, in Europe, all the stuff we had here in the U.S. until Tom and I got some uh, wild ones in 2005 or 2006, before that, all the stuff we had was at least F1 from Europe. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Chad and Robin had – Chad, Robin, Fort Worth Zoo, Denver Zoo got uh, some of those F1 animals from Europe, and those were the founder stock for – the stuff here until we Tom and I started getting stuff in 05 or 06 wild Chinese stuff until then it was a tiny pool and it was all from Europe um, and even now it's it's not a huge pool but there's probably been uh, over the years probably 50 wild ones have come into the US that I know of or kind of that's sort of my imagined mm-hmm. figure relative to what I've seen um, and that even might be high that's sort of I would I would guess that it's under that number um, but, uh, yeah, so Chad and Robin were the private folks that had them and they were, they were, as you say, quite expensive. They started having some trouble, I think probably with either having them overly wet or from feeding them mm-hmm. more than I would feed them now. They don't store fat very well. Presumably right. it's a situation where they're not, uh, so 
where they're not kind of overfeeding in the wild, or at least they might eat a big item. They're pretty capable of eating big stuff, mm -hmm. and so people tend to then feed them too much big stuff, and uh, they'll improperly store fat, and that'll turn into fibrosarcoma tumors and things. Ooh. Anyway, so Pro Exotics had had an issue with that, and then I bought in 2002 or 2003, Tom and I bought all of the Pro Exotic ones. Pro Exotics ones, mm -hmm. um, so that whole group. So we we got those and then supplemented those with the the wild stuff and getting them from other people and whatever. That as you say, there are uh, plenty of people that now are working with them. Heck, Owen's get, Owen got eggs before I did. I got some two days later or whatever this year. But I'm really happy about that. And part of it is that back then, so they're more like a python in terms of producing them at least in terms of the length of follicle development, then, um, a corn, then they are similar to a corn snake or something. Yeah. And so you have to leave them paired for longer, and the males can really beat up the females, so you can run into spots where you say, well, I need to separate these two, even if it means I don't get anything. You kind of have to make that choice. And So big colubrid folks, I know Kathy Love, when I had talked to her in 2002 or 2003, she was really excited about them. She might... Maybe she got some camera too or pro exotics or whatever, but she wasn't having success with them. And in hindsight, it's pretty clear that it's well, you weren't having success because they're more like a python than they are a colubrid in terms mm -hmm. of how long you have to pair them. And they'll fake you out. The follicles get huge so they, before they're even ovulated, so they look rabid. You know, you pair yeah. them up, they look rabid. But you take the male out and then you get nothing because mm -hmm. they hadn't even ovulated and then you pulled them out. Um, they'll do weird stuff while they're. They'll have a pre-ovulation shed because they get so big, so they'll shed twice before they lay. I mean, there's a whole host of things. And they'll do, they'll do stuff where they'll, if they have slugs that are at the vent, you know, so the, the ones closest to the vent are slugs, they'll drop those with the shed or the next day, or they'll do it staggered so that they shed, and then you get a slug, and the next day you get a slug. And you just keep hoping. You're yeah, like, hold them the for at least 10 days, you know. It's like... At least ten days, and there's probably some good stuff in there. Ten ten days to eh, eighteen, two weeks, something like that, somewhere in that range. Past that, you either have weirdness, so hopefully you've gotten none. Then you might have just had a pre-ovulation shed, so you need to wait for the next shed, and then maybe you'll get eggs. But um, yeah, they're they're definitely they're funny, but they're generally speaking pretty pretty rock solid once they're eating. And I'm sure we covered this the first time, but is there a reason they're not imported very often? Is it an availability thing? Is it a not worth the effort kind of thing? So nowadays, right? So it was Vietnam, save a few species, house geckos, I guess Burmese pythons during, at some point in time. There was sort of a list of a, hand, a very small handful of things that were being probably either being ranched or like the house geckos were just so abundant yeah. that they were allowed to be exported that... But generally speaking, Vietnam is closed to the export of live reptiles. You know, not as harshly as Australia, but a similar concept. If you think about it in the same way as being closed, or Mexico now, you know, or whatever. And it has been for a while. Um, so there are exceptions. Things have come out. But uh, generally speaking, it's it's not a free-for-all. So any that were coming out were coming out from... They were only... They're only in a small part of southeast China. And I just don't think the collectors, it, it was set up, all this stuff, right, whether it's Indonesia or whatever, we kind of think of it as, oh, well, if it's legal to export it, then it must be, why aren't we seeing it, right, because it's exportable, 
that doesn't mean that there's a, a network of people, an infrastructure that's set up to facilitate that happening, both mm-hmm. on the exporting side and then the import, the connections to the importers here that, that can do that. So basically Vietnam's closed that I'm not aware, other than the Russian Academy of Science stuff of rhinos coming out of Vietnam, um, at least not in sort of any quantity to speak of. Maybe we're talking singles somewhere that I'm just unaware of, but generally speaking, that wouldn't be the case. And I don't think there was the collecting infrastructure in southeastern China to then ship them out. I think it was legitimate for that entire period of time. They just weren't, it just wasn't happening. But the last, I haven't seen wild China stuff, man, in three or four years. I think with the the turtle problems and things like that, that mm-hmm. and this whole this will only all this stuff will only exacerbate that. China has been basically functionally closed for at least three or four years, and it's not about to get any better. So it's yeah. just a, a function of the the laws where they are, even if they're not explicitly protected in any way. If there isn't the you know, in the, Viet- the case of Vietnam, certainly they're not one of the listed species to be sent out, or they haven't historically been. And in the China context, I think they've basically just stopped exporting stuff, um, so you won't see more. So it's so it's good that we have what disease. we have, or at least <laughs> it. Uh, there are things that could or de- do or could, right? And so then that we just what's the easier way? Do we regulate it and make a something that's super smart and makes sense and you can do what's okay and not do what's not or do we just say well we're not going to do it because people are consuming them or now we're afraid of zoonotic diseases or or whatever um doesn't seem well <laughs> doesn't seem like 20 late 2019 and early 2020 have helped made it any more likely we're going to get china stuff than it was two or three years ago and we weren't even seeing it then yeah but i mean it's not like we were getting much from china to begin with right um, like there's not a ton of species in the I hobby would, that are that are being exported from there to begin with before all this. I would say there aren't a ton that do well, and whether that's a function of how they're collected, how they're maintained, or um, <clears throat> certainly historically, right? There was a time when we got a lot of stuff: Mollendorf fly, king rats. King rats are pretty hardy; they're oh, yeah, you know much those. thicker, and they I you know they t- they tend rats. to actually do pretty well. Um, Mollendorf fly, despite being having the potential to be big. Uh, didn't typically, but McMahon, Harry Nesset did well. Uh, Stan Grumbeck did well. Rex Knight, you know, all these folks did well. So we have some of that stuff, even some mutation stuff. You know, this patternless Hollendorf I were descended from one wild-caught adult with that phenotype. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff. There's cool stuff, but it's never been... It's always been a niche market, as you you know, as you're highlighting. It's like, okay, well, if you're super into Asian rats, there was stuff that was of interest. Typically, mandarins and stuff really didn't do well, so that rep kind of gets applied to all Those of them. Those have come a long and, way, though. Oh yeah, I mean, so captive ones are rock solid, no problem. I mean, they're well, they're not a corn snake. They're they're closer to a corn snake than a boiga or something, but. Um, the wild-caught ones really didn't do well, and that's partially them and their structure. It's partially how they were collected, how they were maintained. Well, 
Another one of the other things I really wanted to pick your brain about was just incubation in general. So we had talked about that a little bit earlier. I have this Baird's clutch in the incubator, which I'm at this point I'm starting to wonder if it's even going to hatch. I messaged Ron Allen this morning because he's bred Baird's many times, and I was like, "Hey man, what are you what are you cooking yours at?" And he's like, "I just I same thing like you were saying with the rhinos. He's like, I put them in my room, and they're in like the mid to upper 70s, sometimes low 80s." And he's like, "And that's it." Because I've been baking mine at 84. And I'm like, on day 65, I'm like, what the hell's going on? Do you have yeah. any words of wisdom? See, yeah, to me, that's a little hot. I know, you know, the, the lamp repeltus stuff and, you know, all the things in that vein can go hotter. To me, if I had Baird's... Which are what Pantherophis at this mm-hmm. point? Um, that I guess if I had some, I would probably just shelf them uh, and see how they went. To go to be at eighty four and go sixty five, especially old school me. Are they dented? Is there any dentation? Dentition or so is there any denting on them? There's five of them. Three of them. Two of them, two of those ones are dented. One of them, I'm pretty sure, isn't even good because I candled it and there was looked like there was really nothing going on inside. But the uh-huh. other two that look rough, they are dented. But I don't know if there was, like I said, I'll have to send you the picture of them. It's funny because I said these, we looked at them before the show, and I I was looking at them. And I was like, well, these two of these three up here that you don't like the looks of them, they look dented. But the two that look like have the better look aren't dented at all. You know, and the, How am I supposed to be the bear like king of the south if I can't even hatch them? Hey, man. They're supposed to be like one of the easiest species to breed, too. It's, it's a learning Here curve, man. No, I'm supposed to know everything all the time, damn it. Well, if you hold yourself to that, expect- if you hold yourself to that expectation, you will fail. And that picture Same. is a little older. It's, it's like a couple weeks, two, three weeks, two weeks. I sent it on the messenger, so I don't know if you can see it or not, but... Um, that yeah, top exactly. top right one is is the one that I'm pretty sure has got nothing going on. Yeah, so I would take. Oh, hold on, I lost you. So I can I saw it for a second, but then it seemed like it exited the column when I looked at it. Um, the the two on the bottom, as you say, mm-hmm. look decent. That bottom right one, if it was me. I would try and, um, you know, I would just take a raise. I would pop it up a little bit, raising a ridge on the, the center top. Yeah. And then just very carefully, I would cut a little slit, and then you can cut a window, being careful to stay above the membrane and the big vein that's running across the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you can, if you just take, like, a, a sexing probe, you can poke it, and if it moves, then you're yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I did with the chondros. I was like, are you alive? Oh, it moved. Are you alive? Nope, your heart is a tire. You're dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm just... I also put them on you... that light diffuser, like, midway through. I took them off, like, out of the vermiculite and raised them up because I was like, these things are probably getting too much. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, Rob. <laughs> this is what happens. Well, like, I talk to okay. you. You're like a personal hero, and... I, I turn into like a just a kitty little schoolgirl at a Justin Bieber concert, and we're trying to pick <laughs> your brain on things. And oh god, 
that's ridiculous. But yeah, man, that, that's what I would do with that one. The other front one, you could do the same thing. The, I don't the know best what's looking up with the little is... yellow patch on the bottom of that one. Yeah, I don't I... know what that's all about. Never seen that before. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that, but it. You can just have poorly calcified or even sort of like semi slug cover, like slug bits, you know? Yeah. It, I, it wouldn't. That's not terribly concerning. Those two front ones look pretty good. I, I think if you cut open those back three, there's going to be just something that's already dead, or maybe it was Mush. just a good looking slug, you know? They were all perfect when they came out. I will say yeah. that. They always do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they always yeah, do. Yeah. I had one egg came out this year from the carpet clutch I got, and it was it was pearly white upon upon arrival. But a couple weeks in, that bitch was black. I left it in there, but I don't know. I don't know. Stunk. Eggs stink in general. Honestly, they just smell bad. <laughs> but, right? Yeah. That's that's the nice thing about boas. Yeah, exactly. But I've been kicking around the idea for incubation if I get another chondro clutch and don't screw that one up. Um, Do your best. Like, talk, I, I think I mentioned it last episode, but sort of doing an egg box but setting it up almost how I set up dart frogs where there's a false bottom and substrate barrier and then vermiculite and then spag on top. Have you ever done... Have you ever experimented with anything like that? You've played around with, with your egg box sort of system oh yeah man oh yeah totally i mean right now i just have super saturated spag and then i have a little eight ounce cup sitting on top of it and the eggs in the cups you know not touching spag because if if you do have even a single piece that's touching right obviously it has that incredible wicking ability that it'll pull in a ton of moisture so you need to make sure that you don't have that situation but yeah i think that mostly works and in terms of colubrid stuff i think the danger comes from cooking them too high Mm -hmm. I mean, there's obviously a, a thermal floor where it just won't work, but um, generally speaking, relative to what we're doing and getting them in our spring through early fall, I would think that you're better, you're safer to go low, and that just gives you gives you more room for error, so yeah. to speak. Whether it's getting too dry or you know, if they're going at a whatever. At lower temperatures, you have just much more room for error. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I've always leaned towards the, like, if somebody's like, yeah, you can incubate at 82 to 84. I always go for the lower end. I always feel like the longer longer the incubation time, like, as long as it's safe, like, I feel like it's just better for I the think that's the that's the, the thing babies. with the reptiles period is like <clears throat> yeah i i'm not nearly as worried about a snake getting cold as i am at getting too hot oh yeah you know what i mean especially for brettles for some species yeah i mean a brettles i mean yeah <laughs> fuck like, <laughs> i don't know what... superior morelia yeah <laughs> i don't know man i like my ijs dude where are all these freaking ants coming from those don't look like ants, dude. Like, those I don't know. One landed on my cigar ants. and kamikaze itself. Those are ash. Those are like. A minute ago. I didn't want to say it, but I think those might be termites, bro. They no look like it. They gotta look like termites. Don't say that. I'm just saying. No. Making you aware. <laughs> yeah, they've been falling yeah, all over I just, me. I, like, I, I saw like Joe Phelan 
I know he incubates a lot of his in Spag, and so it just had me thinking. It was like, we always use Vermiculite, but it made a lot of sense to me to have that false bottom where it's like, same thing, they're, they're humid, but they're not wet. And there's like circulation getting around the egg, and there's oxygen getting around the egg. Right. I don't know. The gears are always turning. Yeah, and it, for me, incubation is like it's also one of those things. I feel like you could easily go into it too much, look into it too much. You know what I mean? When there's an, an easy way to get the same result, right? Or but what if there's a, a result one? that actually works better that no one bothered to try? Like that APS, that that aquatic plant soil that I use for crested eggs. Mm-hmm. That yeah. one day I will try with eggs because I I really have a very strong feeling that it will work well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel it's one of those things. I guess for me, it's like you find if I or I find something that so far like I've just done over water. You know, simple simple ass carpet eggs. You know, basic bitch shit. Um, <laughs> I've I've always I just did the two time two clutches I've gotten I just did over water and they did fine next year I'm probably likely going to try some vermiculite or something but as long as I find something that works you know if they hatch I'm gonna let it ride. I like vermiculite; it's but, just so damn messy. Yeah, that's my other thing with like a loose <laughs> substrate is it's like, just like it gets all over the snakes. That's why I liked the over water thing, but at the same time it also kind of I don't know I don't love it. Well, the other weird bit about vermiculite right is that it's uh. But a crazy long irritant and carcinogen, so that you get that little little glitter effect, and then it's like, oh man, I really hope I'm not aspirating any of this because, like, what the the mines associated with that? There a bu- there were a bunch of lawsuits associated with people, uh, the miners pulling that stuff out and all that stuff. So you probably don't want to be breathing that in, which probably means we it's not a great sign when we have our snakes just totally caked in it. Yeah, it all, <laughs> I don't I think have... on a, a singular incident it's that bad, but. It's one of those that always gives me a little pause. Harlan had mentioned that. Cause he's like, he doesn't use vermiculite for that reason. But I looked into it and I was like, was it just one mine in particular? Like a one like isolated incident? Because everything, uh, again, the Google machine, it has a lot of answers. Mm-hmm. You can't always <laughs> tell which ones are right and wrong. Right. But I was still kind of confused on that whole vermiculite being a carcinogen thing. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely tort lawsuits out of that, but I I don't know. I, I don't think it's... I think that's an entirely different level of exposure and use than what we're talking about in terms, yeah. of, in terms of doing it. So it, I semi-facetiously bring that up. I'm just saying, like, because I've certainly used it and um, I don't think it's, it's bad, but at the same time, I wouldn't go tossing it in the air LeBron James style. Right. <laughs> Well, what's your what's your preferred preferred substrate for uh, say let's say chondro eggs incubate chondro eggs? What's your preferred substrate? So I'm I'm with well all you guys that are doing the overwater stuff. I just feel like it's a it's kind of a risk both with the neonates when they hatch out and just sort of being clumsy or the potential that you might be clumsy. So to me, I'd rather supersaturate perlite or vermiculite or whatever. Um, or even hydroclay that just something so that it's not just reduces your splash risk mm-hmm. um, right knowing that you know full-on water contact things can survive it and stuff but it, it's it's not ideal right i would just reduce the water to me having some particulate in there that would reduce it or if you go terry phillip and just <laughs> to put a roll of paper to, you know peel off a roll of paper towels from the roll and put them on the bottom and i've done that too 
you know, and then you can just super saturate that and set light grid on top of that or two stacks of it and set them on that. Just something so it's not as splashy, but yeah, maintains that, the same effect. Enough. And that, that's exactly why I did it. I, I kind of want to switch from water. I did it this year just because it worked last year, you know, and it worked fine this year. I had a 100%. It did not work well for me. But no. That's it, because of the egg box. Like yeah. The box itself I was using was not good. Right. That was stupid. Yeah, that's one of my goals this year is to get nice egg box set up and you know figure out what i want to do and you know use a use an actual substrate you know to uh reduce the splash because that was my biggest thing is taking the egg box out granted i i really didn't mess with my eggs eggs much i put i put them in the box and i put the box in the incubator and i let it ride you know i didn't really open it up very often you know to, to get air obviously to get a little airflow out to open it up every couple days but i never moved the box so that really wasn't much of an issue when they started the hatch. I took the water out. Um, That's why but, I need to get one of those sea serpent things, dude. It's so hard to see into that incubator, dude. I even love, with the flashlight, I, I'm like I can't see it, so I have to open up a table. Dude, if you if you get one of those sea serpents incubators, you you won't one want, day you won't want nothing else. I love. Mine. I need to re- produce stuff to make money to buy one, but nothing's <laughs> producing. Should have used that condor baby money to get a nice incubator, man. Cigars. See, I'm already loaded up for Daytona, boy. I'm ready. Oh yeah, boy. What? My travel humidor is packed full. <laughs> yeah. Oh, get freaking yeah. nicotine poisoning. I can't wait. Like you did at Carpet Fest the first <laughs> year. You made yourself sick dude, off cigars so at the sick. first Carpet Fest. Dude. I don't even know how. It, I had to smoke like. Dude, you were nine you or always ten had a cigar in your just, mouth, man. Uh, I was ill. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there, man. I, I like cigars, too. I don't have as many nowadays as I used to. If, you know, we were chatting 12 years ago. I'd be a lot more, have a lot more interesting things to say. But, uh, yeah, man, I, that is not pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> but when you actually do feel it and you're getting sick, it's like, oh, this is not great. It's the worst I've type made, of sick. I've made uh, decisions that are uh, clearly have repercussions. <laughs> well, fun fact, if you do smoke a cigar and you start to feel nauseous, you just take some sugar and put it under your tongue or just drink a Coke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Works like a charm. It's like almost instant. It's crazy. Hmm. Start feeling nauseous, a little bit of sugar on the tongue, gone. And you would know that if you watch Snakes and Stogies every Sunday at 9. <laughs> Dude, every Sunday at 9, I'm about ready to go to bed and to oh, wake up man, from work at the that's when, ass crack That's dawn. when it's just beginning me and uh, the wolf. Yeah. It's my boy. Yeah. My boy. It's my boy too. Do so you want to talk about Candoya a little bit? Or I mean, how 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 much we're time we got? Hour, we're at an hour and a half. We're at an hour and a half. I don't want it to end. <laughs> I do. I, I <laughs> He's do. He's in a different time zone. We could stay up as, as late as we want. Okay, as late as late yeah, as, cool, as, as as late as you want, but I, I also have work early well, in the morning, so. Hey. I do. You got a I, lot of quitting, you boy. You you brought up the 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 baby thing about getting Kendoya started. Now scared. No, no, no. no. I'm not, <laughs> I I know there. I know it's a challenging thing, but I'm mostly curious. Have you tried like um, any of the Reptilink scents for like lizard scents for them, for rodents or anything? So, yes. In terms of well, when they're sufficiently small, I just don't think they're going to go for it. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're smart enough to to real they kind of look at it and realize that oh it's something different. But that being said, when they have the the 
will to feed on something different. What? A little bit of a knoll tail, you know, stuffed into the mouse of a frozen pod rodent can do the trick for uh, sure. I'm sorry, Justin's phone went off, and it I and I, me and from I the didn't, living room. I didn't, Jesus. I didn't catch that. Oh, oh my what? God. Y'all handle your thing. I'm gonna go figure out what the deal is. Okay. Justin's gotta go talk to his wife. Um, but what did you say? You, st- you stick a lizard tail in the ro- in a rodent's mouth? Yeah, I mean, if they have a willingness to feed, then that'll work. You know, the, the issue is when they're first born, they're so small that even the tiniest sort of, you know, almost seemingly beyond surviving point, newborn pink would uh, would be a pretty big meal, and they. So especially, well, I guess Carinata and Australis, they're very funny feeders. They're not aggressive in the way that an Amazon Tribo would be or a baby carpet or even chondros that are willing to bite. I know there are some that are not, but mm-hmm. that's, sort of, that's sort of one of the tricks. And so they, they have that little bevel nose, right? And what they like to do, even, even when you're talking about males that are you know, mature males, they, they typically, unless they're really turned on to eat, will come up to it, press against it with that bevel, and then kind of, it, it's weird, they really size up taking the right approach to it rather than just taking a bite and then retroactively working out how they're going to eat it. it. seems like they really size up the, the size of the item that they're going to try and eat, see if that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they want to find the right spot to eat it. They'll push against it, and then they'll open up, and then they'll go for it. Right. Um, it's a very different feeding response than you'll see with a carpet or something that's willing to bite. These are they want to press against it, feel that it's right, and then go for it. Right. And that's where you know the tail and the mouth, especially since the mouth typically is where they're going to want to be to position be positioned well to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, that can that can work, but the newborns, I just don't think they would go for it. Even you're not seeing that push response because they would look at it and say that's way too big for me to eat. Right. Well, what 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 would you recommend for like you know for newborn newborn Kendoya? What what was your what's your recommended like first meal? You know, being that pinkies are you know day old pinkies are too big. You know, what what do you immediately try off of? No, so I tried tails on the, so I, Jeff Murray and I had gotten um, captive hatch litter. If you go back to 2018, Dan Maliri posted videos saying, oh, wow, I just got these female Australis, and then they had babies the next day, or maybe it was two days later or whatever. Anyway, so Jeff Murray and I bought at least, well, we bought eight of those. I'm not sure if it, he was saying he maybe was going to have another litter, so I'm not sure if what we got was one litter or two litters or a whole of one or parts of two different ones or, or whatever. Um, so we got those, and I tried the kind of what I would do with Alterna. Cause, so Alterna, Theri, those Lampropeltis, they're really structurally built to be tailed, uh, you know, to be fed tails. Yeah. They with their body form and how they work. That's what I would do with those because they're so well built for it. Even if you had, so if you had 18 or 20 of them, you might see one or two that didn't really take to it well, but they're physiologically, they're really built to be fed tails and then they'll switch to pinks. Mm -hmm. So to me, I wouldn't mess around with those. That's what I would do with these. 
physiologically they're so thin and seemingly vulnerable. It'd be, it's sort of like, I know people assist chondros, and when you reach a point maybe where you have to do that, you just say, well, you're going to, one up, you know, one path potentially leads to surviving, and the other path you will certainly die. Uh, I guess we'll choose the, the <laughs> of two bad options. We'll take this one that has at least a glimmer of hope to it. Um, in the same way, man, those baby candoia are even more sensitive to being assist-fed than a baby chondro would be because mm. they are even even smaller. Um, and just sort of, they seem sturdier, but maybe they're not would be sort of my experience. So, And with anything, right, if force-feeding versus assist, if you can get the thing to even voluntarily take any of it, it's the same thing with tailing, right? So you start it, but if you can get that thing to willingly chomp chew it down, right? So you start the first third, and then it chews the other two-thirds. That is going to produce a much... I, I think it must start the, the enzymes in their gut so they get more out of it. Then if you if you have to push that thing the whole way down, really, you sort of might as well not be doing it because it's... And I guess maybe it's associated with their digestion processes, but certainly, anecdotally, they don't get essentially any gains from that whereas if they take it willingly you mm-hmm. see gains even on tails yeah um so to me with baby candoria and this has been both what i have did on my litter that i produced and then um what i recommended to ryan young when he had a gal had bought a <laughs> carinata and it had dropped babies completely unexpectedly or whatever and she gave them to him I said, he said well what, what do you recommend and i said well, my recommendation would be to just get someone to send you live invasive brown and moles that are small enough. And so obviously there is a, a time of year component to that. I think they're having multiple clutches and stuff, obviously, but presumably they're easier to find small ones seasonally. Um, and as long as there's some alignment there, that's what I would do. On, on my litter of Australis, every single one of them ultimately took a live brown and mole. Every single one. It didn't mean they thrived, but all of them eventually took at least one live brown. I wonder if turkicus geckos would work well, too. Those are small enough. Yeah, I don't have access to that. You know, I don't know if that's as consistent, but if you you guys, you know, where you guys are at, I don't know if if browns come up as far as you are, and I'm hesitant to recommend feeding out native species, but the invasive stuff, it's like, okay, you know, whether it's the Turkish geckos or the... The animals, but if you have the Turkish geckos and you have access to that, good on you, man. And yeah, I'd give it a try. I, so I've never tried geckos, but um, hmm. I, don't I know. think you'd have a shot. I always like because that's you know one of the things that I think about. You know, if if I'm if I do want to get into these, you know, how if I ever do want to try and reproduce them, you know, what am I going to feed babies? And you know, lizards was you know you know because we have anoles all over the place. But I'm always weird about anything from like just outside. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to just go grab something and see if it'll it'll eat it. You know, I, I would like a captive bred resource for something like that. That's why I really want to so get that's... a group of those turkicus geckos, catch some, and yeah. get a little group together. I think that well, a, I mean, a they're pretty little geckos, like they're cool, right? But it would just be neat to have like a group of like I don't know three or four, yeah, in a tank. You know, something nice, like decked out, you know. Right. And just see what happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to do it that way, I think the morning geckos, generally speaking, do better in captivity, and they're parthenogenic. So, um, and the Turkish might be too. I know some of those, some of those species are, but so I'm not sure whether those those are or not. But um, certainly the morning geckos are, and if you're setting them up in the same, you know, sort of the same context that you would a dark frog, then you'll definitely have success, and I would. I think those are certainly worth a shot. Um, I guess I would. what I would say, I think we have a tendency, cert, well, it works both ways, right? I'm with you, Jake, that the, it seems weird, and certainly it's pounded into us that feeding them anything but commercial rodents is wrong, you know, this sort of thing, and you shouldn't Dangerous. do that at all costs. Dangerous, you shouldn't do that at all costs. I think we get into the question, right, that sometimes you see, quote, advice aligned with what's also easy or convenient, you know, it's it's or cheaper. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper to assist feed something tails than it is to pay someone to go catch you in homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the two things, the, the relative cost of those two things are very different. So I... I've learned to become a little skeptical to some of the concerns. I think there's some legitimacy to those concerns. And I do think on any of that stuff, you do reach a point where it's like, I really want to get you off of these things because you could always have sort of, I don't know, with weirdness or whatever, some, something problematic. But generally speaking, the greater fear to me, I would rather have something willingly eat whatever it is than to have to, force, certainly force. Assist, we get into a, a grayer area, but certainly force something. Uh, of those two things, I'd, I'd rather have it willingly eat whatever it wants to eat. Um, because at some point, right, we're, we're just yet again applying our own preconceived notions mm-hmm. to this stuff. You know, and so I, I'm totally with you, and I, it, in the past, was in complete alignment. I've shifted now to be more open to other things, open to feeding stuff, just because I think the most important thing is that they willingly take it, whether that means as an assist that the, they then voluntarily finish mm-hmm. or an alternative item. Some, something I was thinking, I, I just want to get your opinion on it, you know, being that they're a, you know, an arboreal species, you know, obviously they spend more time in the trees tree tree boas obviously um would something like yeah i I assume at that small you know or you know any of those things they they might eat something like tree frogs you know do you think babies could go for something like you know like a piece of a frog leg like a cut up frog leg or something they seem to really respond to motion more than they do um yeah, they they respond to motion more than they do sense. So that I did try sense, even on the stuff from Dan. You know, all the the reptilinks sense, and yeah, I guess we get on to a, a slight soapbox there where they definitely have a huge use, and in, to some extent, are not even a new idea. It's just that back in the '80s and early '90s, people would say, "Oh, you buy an all you freeze it, and then you blend it, and you you might have to buy an extra blender so that your significant other doesn't you know find out that you just." blended in a knoll in there and then you freeze them into little ice cubes and all margaritas. you know put some water in there yeah and then you're doing margaritas for the group out of it you know yeah, if it's yeah. all herpers maybe it's okay but um it's basically the same 
concept. So it's not a new concept. It's just sort of a commercial aspect of doing that so that you're farming out uh, the effort of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I tried those both with rhinos and with candelia, and I didn't find them to be successful at all, gotcha. particularly candelia. I've heard a lot of but hit or miss. But rhinos are the same. Like, for some people, they worked great. For some people, they were like, I got no reaction. I, I mean, think for what they are... Well, yeah. I mean, I think for something like an Anteresia, that even on Pretensis, we're still talking third or fourth generation captive at this point, mm-hmm. um, you're, that can make all the difference, right? It's better situated to make all the difference. Even Alterna, depending on, you know, whether you're working with F1 or long-term, several generation captive stuff, that, can, that probably could help. You know, I, I don't know that I ever tried it with it, but that, that could help. And they're almost there to eat a rodent anyway, uh, generally, even on the F1 Alterna stuff. They're almost there, so a scent might make the difference. But like the Candoria, they just look at you like you're crazy, man. They're <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, so, what is this? Yeah, so I, they're I, definitely it, more. Yeah, because that was the one thing that, you know, the biggest difference between them and something like, you know, a carpet is they don't have the heat sensing pits so something that's hot isn't gonna you know get them going like something like a carpet you know um so yeah the, the yeah that, that definitely makes I, sense with the with the movement i think sense your is your your best shot but there is going to be a minimum size where they're just going to refuse it because they'll look at it and say that's too big for me man right um surprisingly even when they would eat an anole that has the same sort of relative mass, but it gets into the, well, the other reptile links bit, right? Uh, the frustration is how wide and rigid they are. Uh, I've used them. I like them. I know you guys talked about the fruit ones and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that. I've been super into it. I've, I've had the hell out of Therai and Alterna that would take them, like the fruit mix mm-hmm. ones, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I also tried a, uh, a big Homohara python female with a, a venison one. And she bit into it, and clearly she was not down for venison because she then so she she bit into it and didn't like it at all, and now is flinging raw ground meat nice. all around her enclosure and is quite upset and is like violently shaking trying to get it out of her mouth. And she split the thing open and then is flinging it all over. And I was like, Jesus. "Well, this is the downside of this is that if this doesn't go well, it goes very poorly." And now I have to try and clean up all this raw ground meat like in the same enclosure she's sitting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so they, yeah. in your opinion, they react more to movement than scent or like Vitanus froglets? Yeah, I don't know if they take it. So I tried fish with the Australis babies and they didn't have any interest at all. Hmm. So I don't know what that would speak to relative to tadpole. I think for the most part, right there, uh, at least my understanding of the reef islands or the picture, it's very, it's funny, it's one of those places that I'd love to go see them in the wild, but it just seems extraordinarily difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about getting to the Solomon Islands and then you're flying to Cristobal or something, and then you're going to have to, doubtless, it's a many hour each way boat ride. That's part of why we don't see them, actually, right. mm-hmm. very often between the Solomon Islands closing and then we'll see a lot at once and that seems to reflect the collector kind of making the journey to make it happen and then they seem very catchable so to speak so I think the population density must be super high Mm -hmm. um, so that their reproductive stuff is 
driven by just which ones are getting access to meals. They are sexually sized dimorphic, so that the males are eating lizards their whole lives. So that is one thing. If you're just going to have one as a pet, I would get a female, um, because that female is probably going to be attuned to eating rodents, or at least have a natural predilection to do so and get mm-hmm. to a size where they feel comfortable doing so. Mm-hmm. Whereas a male, they'll seasonally fast, and then getting them off that fast, you can have to resort to scenting and things like that to get them to go back on. Yeah, the scenting stuff, like, I, I don't have much of an issue with. It's it's the dealing with, ha- it, it would be having to deal with live lizards that you're would, about, like, that would kind of, of like annoy me. Right? Like, well, you're I mean, from, like, like, yeah, if I go catch some outside, then, yeah, I would be slightly worried about parasites. But, you know, it's also, like, even if I went the route of, you know, then you have to breed, you know, your lizards and then, you know, having to, I don't know, just dealing with small lizards, you know, with, with the snakes, just it, it's just sounds like a pain i guess you know the scenting is one thing most most definitely (laughs) but you know having to having to do that that's why i wanted to pick your brain about it and see if that was virtually the best and almost only option for baby kendoya is tiny lizards (laughs) but i think as well so certainly from my experience in terms of starting them it's it's the best option, right? But then I, I do think you're you're not wrong to say, as soon as there's any indication at all that they're willing to switch to rodents, scented rodents, I would do it. Oh yeah. I do think on on any of that stuff, it's not even, and I don't know whether it's a risk of just feeding something too big again because you're not into sort of ideal prey size in the same way if you were feeding a rodent or whatever. Right. But. Uh, to me, they seem to have a limit, and then they tend to not do well. Even if they're eating, say, lizards, and I don't know if that's parasites or eh, something physiologically, right, that's holding them back when mm-hmm. they, there's own, but they, there seems to be a cap of the number of lizards that they can eat and still be doing well. So you're not, your desire isn't wrong to shift them onto the two rodents. I think that's the, the right thing to do, but in terms of if you produce them, well, hey man, if you produce some, you'll be there's me, and there's Mark Boyer, and I think Dan Maleri was telling me that uh, a guy in Southern California had sold him his many years ago, and that one had a litter. But so in terms of legitimately breeding them, I, I'm not. No, totally sure. Either way, it's a very small group, mm-hmm. and they're at least, you know, I'm actively trying. Jeff Murray's actively trying, and they're not. <laughs> they're they're funny, man. I think it. They're probably something in the wild that's only eating or only breeding every two, three, or four years, something mm-hmm. like that at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it helps to have a group and to try them. At the same time, I mean, they're very cool. You know, especially, man, if you put red bulbs into your room so that you can watch them at night, yeah. they're entirely different at night. You know, everyone who says, oh, they're tame. Well, yeah, watch them with the lights out. And, <laughs> you know, when they're established, see them with the lights out. And they come alive. You wouldn't feel that way. Like, yeah. all, all my females, especially, when they're in their feeding season, which is most of the year, with the lights out, you wouldn't be able to touch any of them. Mm-hmm. They would bite the shit out of any <laughs> see, that's every time I see them I always get this just I have this idea that they're like catatonic like 
they don't seem to react to anything. I've never seen one that was like fired up or like bitey. I mean, besides besides the um, the viper, like viper boas, bow is aside. viper yeah. bow is aside. Oh, As- sure. Asper, yeah. Aspera or whatever but, Asper. And some false and I'll bite you too. But no, at least on the Australis, I, man, I can speak to this very comfortably. But yeah, you can grab them during the day, and they what you're talking about, where they'll seem catatonic or they're barely moving or whatever. Those very same ones, lights out, and if you, not even flashlighting or whatever, literally if you're looking at them with red bulbs so we can see, but you can tell from the aperture of their pupils that they really, they're perceiving your heat, but they're mm-hmm. not seeing you. I can tell you that it's like I just going to unlatch their cages, without fail, they will bite at the plexi when I unlatch the thing <laughs> because they're feeling my heat through yeah. the plexi. They will strike at it right. every time. And then anything going in there is going to get hammered. And they have strongly recurved teeth and very strong uh, facial muscles. So I've only been bit, I think, two or three times. And you'll feel it, man. That's like what people talk about with big emeralds in terms of the pressure and the way the teeth are recurved. It is, I mean, it's not going to hurt you real, you know, in the in the long run, it doesn't hurt you, but it, it, it hurts a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that's I think that about covers you. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll be picking your brain some more over the coming weeks about Kendoya because it looks like I may actually be getting a female from Harlan. But uh, right, yeah. So I was gonna say, so did you you get some or what's the? You I, told me that I haven't yeah. got them yet. Te- technically, I guess. But long story short, I got some snakes from Harlan a while ago that I have yet to receive. But you know, with Harlan, it hasn't been a hard pressed thing, and something happened to one of the animals, which I will not be receiving. But I already paid for it, so I was speaking to him today. Oh, I he, get you. he might replace, and it sounds like he's going to replace the animal that I won't be receiving with a female. Kendoya, because I think he has a small group of them. He's going to sex them, and he might possibly have a male. And if he has a male, I will likely try to get both of them. But it's looking like I'm, I will at least be getting a female at some point. So, Right on. Well, that's cool, man. I remember yeah. going to, I think it was like Repticon Charleston or something, and they there was one table that had baby Kendoya for like 30 or 40 bucks a piece, and they were so yeah. small. I was like, there's absolutely no They're way tiny. these things are eating. Yeah. I was very tempted, but I was like... Yeah. I can already tell this is going to end up like with me very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. They were tiny, man. Yeah. I mean, worms. It's like there's absolutely no way these things have had a meal. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are either Carinata. I mean, baby Carinata would be teeny, teeny, tiny, but those are probably newborn Pulsana. And they just have like giant litters of small babies, whereas the Australis seem to have smaller litters of big babies generally although my litter was was big so it was 13 live and four that didn't even look stillborn it looks like maybe they were just smashed or they'd gotten dry or whatever because mm-hmm. they shed on birth but uh yeah i mean which was a lot typically maybe you'd be seeing 13 on the very high end i think more like talking four to 12 something like that but yeah jake definitely let me know if you get those and um Happy to help because they are. Be your guy. I've had them for, yeah, I've had them for six or seven years or whatever, and they're uh, they're very cool. On yeah, top of every I'll, other uh, species in existence. Yeah, I'll I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely be picking your brain over the uh, over the course of the next couple weeks, more than likely. So, 
And I just, I'll pick your brain any day just because you got all the... It's definitely worth picking. I don't picking. know where you store it all. <laughs> like, I thought I, I stored a lot of information, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm starting to wonder if you're even human, honestly. <laughs> he right? Has a, he is a god. Just, just think about it a lot, man. You know, that's what you guys are doing, and you just... You just keep plowing ahead, man. That's why, as I said on the email, I I really appreciate and respect what you guys are doing and that you've been doing it so consistently and stuff. And that's the, that's really the trick. You know, it's like anything. It's just showing up, but just showing up year after, you know, day after day, which turns into year after year, man. You know? For sure, for sure. Well, you're the man. And where can people, if people want to know more, where do they go to do that? I guess High Plain Serp on Instagram is what I have going now. I'm trying to do the to update the website, um, so I've, I'm going to go super heavy photo focused, especially if we can get the article to come out as as I'd like. I'd rather than doing a website, just send them to your thing. Say, hey, okay, you're asking me about rhinos. Just read this thing, and hopefully yeah, that'll yeah. give you at least ninety percent of the answers to your questions. Um, well, eventually that article will be photo. on the website too. So. Like yeah, all the all so, the all the articles are gonna get added to the website, but I'm so like I have like four issues of articles to put on the website mm-hmm. still, and I just don't have the time to do it. Yeah. No, I'm I'm totally well. And that's been the same thing. You know, Billy had reached out to me what two well three months ago or something. Mm-hmm. Said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, I tried to buy some time, and then even then I was like, eh, it doesn't look good. And then it went to the next one, and then. I was like, okay, well, at least I'll be good for the very next one. And then it was like, oh, that was already too late for that, you know, or whatever. So it's like, I'm totally with you, man. And we all need to be, the the amount of stuff that you're doing is so impressive that just the fact that it's happening at all is a testament to your hard work and all the time that you are putting in. So certainly there's no, uh, nobody can quibble with, oh, it's not up fast enough. That's that's not acceptable <laughs> yeah that's also I mean me and Billy also if, if anyone complains it's a free magazine so mm-hmm. my apologies <laughs> exactly <laughs> sorry <laughs> well Rob we definitely really appreciate you coming on yeah, for man. another episode and this uh, will not be the last time no absolutely not I feel ne- like next time we'll have to do all out Kandoya episode mm-hmm. that'll be it and then we can do a Somalia episode then and then we can do we can do a blood python episode and then, yeah. and then we can <laughs> why you even have anybody else we on? can do dions they whatever you want man the list I'm, goes on i'm game for any of it so awesome, yeah man. Well, no that's all will, good i appreciate it yeah man yeah, we man. definitely appreciate it and you will definitely be hearing from both of us i'm sure at some point soon yeah i'm gonna go cut some right. eggs now <laughs> all right man cool all right see you guys all right Later. have a good night brother bye I'm going to Jay Brewer the shit out of those beards. <laughs> you want to watch me do it? I got to go home and go to bed. No, man. Yeah, you got to you gotta be here with me. It's fucking, it's almost 11 o'clock. Aww. You got to be up at the ass crack of dawn. False. So, thank you everybody for it's episode 88. Episode, listening to episode 88. It's a pleasure as always. This was a goodie. I love Rob. He's awesome, dude. Literally, man. People Huge like influence. I'm not kidding when I say that that guy's like my biggest influence. Dude. He's a legend, man. He's great. Like, stop aspiring to be a YouTube mm. douchebag. 
Aspire to be Rob Stone. Aspire to be Rob Stone. If you're going to be like anybody, be like Rob. Just be a deep well of information, but don't, like, advertise it. Just don't be an asshole. <laughs> it's, be, it's Rob. Be Luke Skywalker on the island, man. Yeah. You want information, you come find me. I'll yeah. be on my island. Alone. Yeah. Just me and the gulls. <laughs> and my lightsaber. <sighs> we will but, catch y'all next week. Once yeah. again, Steve Snakeshuary, Venom Hot Sauce. Get you some. MP Cages and Exotics. Get you a rat. Get you a cage. Custom. You know, you know. You know it. Alrighty, y'all. Appreciate it.